Well, like I was saying, it's been a while. It's been five months, and a lot has changed, and so I just want to give you a quick update on my life. Maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but I want to let you know what's happening. Is Back in June, we were just finishing VBS up. I was getting ready for camp, and I had been feeling since February that the Lord was bringing something, and I didn't know what it was. I just knew, like, man, something's not right. Something's not between Bethany and I, just something wasn't clicking, and, and I'm just like, God, there's there's a change coming. We had prophetic words spoken to us, and so we're like, okay, um, what is it? And in, in June, in a matter of a week, I got a, a phone call that a company was interested in hiring me. This was the third time they had reached out to me, and uh, it was a full-time oil field job, which 10 years, by the way, in one month, I will be a 10-year-old Christian. It's true. Uh, I would be 10 years old, change my own pants and everything. (laughs) But in in 10 years of Christian life, I had never thought, you know, I have a calling on my life. So obviously that's in the ministry and in the church and pastoral roles. And I never thought I was going to touch secular markets or the business realm because I'm not a businessman. And it's it's evident in my work. I'll just tell you that. But, no, it just, Bethany and I began to pray. She was away at the weekend, so it gave me time just at the apartment by myself. And we prayed and we prayed and we talked to John. We talked to key family members, key leaders in our life. And we said, pray about this. Tell us what you think. And, man, it just it just kind of all fell in line with the financials, with the time, with the with our relationship. It just, it alleviated so much that we needed. And it's allowed Bethany to go on and do all the things, because if you know her, she's doing all the things right now. Um, but it has also allowed me to step into a place where I'm in front of the world, essentially. And in May, we did take the city, and my heart had been really pressed for the loss, been really pressed for, and I'm just going to be honest here, we get up and we do church every Sunday, and we preach a message, and for an evangelist, you want people to get saved. Every time you preach, that's the goal, right? You want people to come to a relationship with Christ. But when you look out in the crowd and you see 95% of the people have been walking with Jesus for a good long while, in honesty, is that redundant? You know what I mean? Like, okay, not that we don't need to preach, not that we don't need to fellowship, but for me as an evangelist, I'm like, man, i got to get in front of the people. And so that's what my job has allowed me to do. It's allowed me to get out there. But another reason why I chose to go into the oil field, side note here, I'm still a pastor here at Living Way, still the youth pastor, didn't drop that, um, just so you know. So I work 50 hours a week, and I still do the youth. Another reason why, yeah, another reason why I did that, and this is really a huge heart of why I did it, because I look at you, the layperson, who does 50, 60, 70 hours a week and then gets asked by pastors, hey, can you come give me your Saturdays, your Wednesdays? Can you volunteer for this and that? And I see the toll it takes on you. And now I'm experiencing the toll it takes on you. And in preparation for the sermon, I'm going to be just real. As Gary Coe say, can I just be real with you? I don't know how to say it. but In honesty, when John asked me to preach, I told him I don't want to. I said, I don't want to, man. Just to be 
vulnerable. I know I have a calling on my life to do this. I know that God has equipped me to do this, but 50 hours is a lot of time. And when you get home at night, you just want to sit down and do nothing, right? You know what I'm talking about? On the weekends, you don't want to have something every weekend for six or seven weekends in a row. Now, that's not all the church. I'm not saying the church. We just run a busy life over here. Um, and so then to add preaching, first of all, I had to be convicted of my heart towards preaching as a task. Um, but to add that in, I was like, man, I don't know. Because in my heart, over the last few months, to just be honest, this has been my heart. In Mark chapter 7, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. We live a life of busyness. We live a life of full schedules, and then when we realize God's calling on us, we take what we have and we polish it up and we give it good reason. You know, why? all the excuses in the book, and that's teaching ourselves that what we're doing is right when God is specifically speaking to us and telling us to change some things up. And so I didn't want, as I read that passage, I didn't want that to be me. I don't want that life where burnout happens. I don't want that life where you don't want to go and do service. You know, we taught the kids in upstairs, each one should use whichever gift he has received to serve others. First Peter 4.10, right? We taught, them the, we taught them that verse. And if you have a gift, you should use it to honor God and to worship God and to serve others, right? And so I don't want our worship to be a farce. I don't want it to be a lie. I don't want it to be lip service. Whether we do it every week, every day, Every minute, it doesn't matter. We can't let normal things get watered down just because of we repeat them a lot. Powerful things cannot lose its power just because we're doing it all the time. And I think 10 years ago when I got saved, maybe many of you can relate to this, I was on fire for God. And then life happens and you get busy and that fire begins to dwindle. You've heard this before, you've probably experienced it yourself. And things happen, horrendous things happen in your life that come and they squash that fire, struggles. And my question today, the question we're going to ask is, is what makes the difference to keep that fire going? That's what we're after this morning is what makes the difference? So we're going to look at four examples. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to summarize these people. But there's four people. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to explain to you my sermon outline. Four people going to talk all the way up to their failure, ask the question, what makes the difference, review their success afterwards, and then give you the answer. You good? Up to failure, what makes the difference, what happened afterwards, the answer. Okay, so follow along. It might get tricky. (laughs) Moses. Okay, you ready? Moses, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Moses is sitting there. Watching a man beat another Hebrew. If you know the story of Moses, he's a Hebrew baby born in a time where baby boys were to be slaughtered. And God rescued him, put him in the house of Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh taught him up, raised him in the midst of kings and queens of the land, right? And Moses was a Hebrew himself watching an Egyptian beat a Hebrew. Good intentions, still evil-hearted. Because the Bible says he turned and looked to see if anybody was watching. So he knew what he was about to do was wrong, yet he still walked into it willingly. And he killed that man. And he buried his body, and he fled. Now this is Moses. Think about that. Murderer and hate-filled heart. Jesus takes murder to a whole other level. It's not just a physical act, but it's, it's an idea, a prejudice, a thing in your heart that says, you know what, I just don't like you, and it begins to cause bitterness and anger, and it wells up inside of you, and it produces a hatred in your heart to somebody. Jesus sees those two things, the physical and the internal thing, as one and the same. You've committed murder in your heart to that person. And you've played God when you commit murder. Because he's the author and giver of life. And only he can take away what he has given. And we step into his role when we commit murder or when we have bitterness and hatred towards somebody. Second person we're going to look at is Ruth and Naomi. They're kind of a a combo package we're going to look at them this morning. Ruth and Naomi. Here's the story in Ruth. It's right after Judges, just before 1 Samuel. Naomi marries a man, I can't pronounce his name, and has two sons. They marry, Ophrah and Ruth, right, Ophrah? And so Naomi and her husband have a little family. Her husband dies. Ten years later, her two boys die, and now three women are left widowed. In our life, we face a lot of loss. We all know where this story is headed for each of us. Praise God that we have eternal life and a joy and a hope behind it, but there's a lot of people out there who don't. And there's a fear of death that is rampaging through our world. And Naomi and Ruth face the grief and the loss of losing a husband, a son, a father figure, We're going to explain why Ruth is so important in the Bible here in a minute. But just think about it. Connect with that if you've experienced that or are experiencing that. Third person we're going to look at is King David. Now this one, I love King David. And this one relates to me just because King David was anointed as a young boy. Followed God passionately. And then messed up. Because he was... A young boy following God, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, establishing the holy city as the holy city. He's like the greatest king ever by doing this. And then while his armies are out fighting, King David is sitting up on the roof, drinking himself a nice sweet tea. And he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And his heart is filled with lust. And he takes that woman and he brings her into his court and he knows her. And when he realizes whose wife this is, one of his own commanders, he gives an order that the army would to push forward and then at that moment pull back so that her husband would be surrounded by the enemy and killed. And then, here's the other thing, you might not have thought, then David would look like a hero because he would bring a widow up into his court 
and marry her so that she wouldn't be full of shame and without somebody to provide for her. So he's being deceitful on top of murdering and adultery. This is King David. And the fourth example we're looking at is Peter. Peter, man. The rock. Cephas, right? The one who walked with Jesus all the time. And this, I relate a lot to Peter and David. This is why, because when we say we believe in Jesus and we come into worship, it brings me back to Mark chapter 7. I want to know if our worship is a farce, if it's lip service. Because I feel like up until this point, Peter has given Jesus fantastic lip service, true revelation because he does recognize him as the Messiah at one point, knowing who he is. But then when it comes down to making a stand, to making the decision to follow Jesus, what happens? You know the story, right? Jesus tells me, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so Jesus gets arrested. They go to the temple. And Peter stands there, gets into the gate. And the woman at the gate, the first one, asks him, hey, aren't you that guy, one of his disciples? No, I don't know. Goes in. They're watching the trial with the high priest. Two more people. Aren't you the guy? No. Are you sure? No, I don't know. And then a rooster crows. Up until the very point where it mattered. Where he says, you know what? If it costs me everything, I'm going to stand with Jesus. And at that point, he backed off. He said, it's not worth it. Now, we know these stories. We've heard them our whole lives. The question is, we see ourselves in their lives as well. We can see ourselves... With hate in our heart, lust-filled lives. I mean, I don't have to tell you your dirt. It's not hard to find, okay? We're all human. They were human. What made the difference for them? What made the difference? You go back to Moses. Man, he led the, uh, the Hebrews out of slavery. That guy went up on the mountain and literally saw the backside of God. He literally held in his hands stone that God carved himself. He's interacted with God himself so much that his face shone so much so that they put a veil over it so that it wouldn't blind other people. Like he was up on the mountain when the thunder and the lightning shook and all the other Israelites were afraid and they stayed down, but he went up and was with God for days. Like that's Moses. What made the difference? That we, get, we go from a murderous heart to the man who sets up the law and leads people out of slavery. We go to Ruth and Naomi. And here's why she's important. Some of you might know this, some of you might not. But a little genealogy test here. Naomi and Ruth, here, after their, their husbands have died, they hear that the Lord has blessed the land of Judah. So they physically pick themselves up and move. And sometimes in our grief, that's what it takes. Is, an, is I'm just not going to sit here and waller in it. I've got to move. And so they move to where the blessing of the Lord was. And they meet a man named Boaz. Big bad Boaz, right? I heard a sermon about that one time. And he just, big bad Boaz. And I was, I was, it's always in my head now, every time I read it. But he, they meet a man named Boaz. They start working for Boaz. And Ruth and Boaz fall in love. It's a fairy tale story. And they get married. Right? 
Now, here's why this is important. Because the story begins with Naomi, and it ends with Naomi putting Boaz and Ruth's child on her lap, simplifying that she is the grandmother. She's a part of this family, right? Because of Ruth's faithfulness to her and her fervent pursuit of Naomi. Now, here's why it's another point, because that baby is Obed. And Obed gave birth to Jesse. And Jesse gave birth to David, who was the archetype of Jesus Christ. So not only did the person who was so full of grief and wallowing in their, their pity hear God and follow him, but God loved them so much that he literally grafted them into his family and said, you're just coming on with me. Like, you're, come on. You're going to be in this lineage and you're going to have a place in this story because of your, your devotion to one another. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name I rebuke that. No, Satan. Not today. What in the world? I don't know what that was, but not today, Satan. A little radio frequency. Mm, it's the first time for everything, right? <laughs> she's, she's lost it. All right, we're over. We're done. Well, come see us next week. We'll finish up. <laughs> no. Pull it together. Pull it together. The fourth guy, Peter. Get it together, Ashley. The fourth guy, Peter. We know Peter. We know, okay? After Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell, like Peter gets up and he preaches a message and 3,000 people get saved. Now that is the dream for an evangelist's heart right there. <laughs> like, you just get up and you're just, bam. Here, no, he, no prep either. This guy was ready in and out of season. He just got up, led by the Holy Spirit, and said, you need Jesus. And they're like, baptize me now. I got this, right? So Peter gets up, but even before that, I want you to back up. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter experiences something profound, that he betrayed Jesus. And yet Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Knowing full and well, head full of shame of what he did, you know that I love me, that I love you. Feed my sheep. You know that I love me too. Feed my sheep. And he says it again. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. And then he says, do you love me? And it says here that Peter's heart was hurt. And I think it was because Peter knew there was something there that needed to be addressed. There was the fact that he denied him. And so when God is asking him, do you love me? It's like, don't give me lip service anymore. You've got to make a choice here. Are you going to love me or are you not going to love me? Make your mind up. Because if you love me, feed my sheep. And Peter says, I love you. And he makes the decision right then and there to be who he was called to be and to walk in it. And then we go on the story and Peter is one of the apostles of apostles, right? He wrote many books in the Bible. And so we look at these four examples and we can easily see ourselves. But we look at them also through a lens of the greatest Bible characters. Like the ones who like, man, if I could just be like Moses... Well, I hope not, because you might have killed somebody then, you know? Like, if man, if I could just be like David, well, you're, you're an adulterer, you know? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, if we could just be like these, we forget that they're human. And that they made mistakes. And that their lives got really busy. 
And that the day-to-day would just wear them down. And I'm sure that when Moses was listening to all the people grumble, I'm so thirsty, just like all your kids grumble like, Dad, I'm thirsty. Like, it wears you out. It wears you down, and eventually you just get to that point where you're like, I'm on survival mode. I am just autopilot. One thing after the other, check it off the list, let's move on, because I can't, I can't just be passionate about everything I do. I gotta, gotta reserve my energy. You know, kind of mindset. We go into that protecting. So, what made the difference for Moses, Ruth, and Naomi, David, and Peter, and all the rest of the Bible characters? I don't like the word characters, the Bible people. And I'm gonna tell you this John chapter 7. Let me flip. You can turn with me in your Bibles. It'll be up on the screen. What? I never do it on the screen, but I figure I'd give you guys a break. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus says this. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Other places talking about if you're weary and heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. Yeah. We're just reading that last part. Moses was in a field with some sheep. And the angel of the Lord came down and in a burning bush the voice of the Lord spoke to him. And he says, I've seen the suffering of my people and I'm sending you to do it. The voice of God and his obedient heart. Ruth and Naomi heard about the blessings of God, and in their heart they say, That's where I want to be. Wherever God is and his blessings, that's where I want to be because that's where life is. And so they picked up and they moved. David. In chapter 11, commits adultery. In chapter 12, Nathan the prophet, the voice of God of the day, comes to him and gives him a riddle, so to speak. A man has one sheep, another man has 400. The man with 400 come and steal one man's sheep. And David gets in a rage. I don't know the details of that. But gets in a rage and says, well, then let's put that man to death because he has unjustly treated that man with his one sheep. And he said, David, that's you. And then David goes on. Yeah, nope. But something happens in David's heart because if you go read Psalm 51, he writes the most beautiful psalm. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. Turn over there to Psalm 51. Let's look at this. Starting in verse 8, Psalm 51, verse 8. It won't be on the screen. It says this. Oh, Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you. David hears the voice of God come in. And it brings repentance. 
and he turns and he commits his way unto the Lord. And he is known as the man after God's own heart. Man, if only we could be known by our peers and in our circle of influences as the person after God's own heart. We'd be doing something right. We don't got to be perfect. David shows that, but we would just we just need to say, Oh, Lord, give me back my joy. Let me rejoice. Let me know my salvation. Give me the will. Literally, give me the desire to do what pleases you. Not, I don't have it anymore. I'm on autopilot mode. I'm surviving. Not thriving. I'm not passionate. I'm not full of purpose. I need you to implement that in my life so that I can do your will and teach the rebels to follow you. And Peter sat down with Jesus himself and looked at him face to face and saw himself in the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus says, I know who you are, who I created you to be. And he confronted the sin and he called him out of it, saying, feed my sheep. If you love me, Do what I've called you to do because I know how I've created you. Feed my sheep. And he heard the voice of the Lord and it brought him out and into his life filled with promise. So I stand again. The difference, the answer is the voice of the Lord. It's the voice of the Lord in your life when things are crazy. I'm super busy right now and I don't even have kids. So... I feel for you, moms and dads, okay? I wake up at 6. I don't get home till after 9 most days. I feel for you, okay? But how can we thrive and have life abundantly instead of letting the enemy come in and still kill and destroy our life? Letting us get real busy and then whispering, Reasons, good reasons why we're that busy. Why we don't have time to just sit and hear his voice. Three verses. Jeremiah 10, 13. The voice of the Lord says, When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends his lightning with the rain. The voice of the Lord is like a thunderstorm and releases the winds from his storehouses. Ezekiel 43.2 Suddenly the glory of God of Israel appeared from the east. The sound of his coming was like a a roar of rushing waters and the whole landscape shone with his glory. Revelation 1.15 his feet were polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. My first year in college, we went on a mission trip to South Padre Island during spring break. We drove all nine hours, ten hours, whatever it is, and we got there. We had our rally with all the other 900,000 other people that were there to do outreach that weekend. 
And we drove across the bridge into, onto South Padre. And the very first thing we did was we went to the ocean. And there's a picture that we have and all of our friends that were in that picture. We know what was happening in that moment. Nobody spoke. Everybody just got out and walked straight to the ocean. And we just stood there and put our feet in the ocean and just listened. And the waves crashed as the tide was rolling in. All that week, we would sit on the beach and play guitar and listen to the ocean. A lot of people turn on like little YouTube clips of the sound of the ocean at night or something for their kids or or to help you go to sleep because it's relaxing. You go into like a yoga studio or a spa or something and they got like that ambiance music going. It's like... And the voice of the Lord thunders like waves crashing over us. So I speak to us this morning. I say we need to learn to rest and find joy and peace in his voice because without it, we will stumble and fall. We will be lost to the flesh, to the culture around us, to the people. We need his voice. It's what makes the difference. Changes everything. And you know what? His voice is like waters and he says, all who are thirsty, come to me. Come to me. So we're going to take a minute. We're not going to have any music. We're just going to sit and listen to God. And I want to release you this morning. I told our leadership this too. God's voice when he speaks is not for selfish endeavors. Not all the time. Sometimes you need to hear something for you. But sometimes you get blessed so that you can be a blessing. We're going to take a few minutes. We're going to listen to the waves crash over us. And if you hear something that's for somebody else, go tell them. Even if you're not 100% sure, like, is this me or is this God? Listen, if it's biblical and it's encouragement and it's in love, there's no harm in that. You ain't got to question it. Just move out in love for your neighbor and know that when you open your mouth, God will put his words in there. 